Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. For those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And make sure that you take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. So if that's iTunes, tune in, Google, or, uh, Google Play or SoundCloud, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family, we are pleased to have joining us on the phone Professor Robert McKenzie. Uh, he is a senior fellow at the New America uh, at New America, I'm sorry, and director of its Muslim Diaspora Initiative. He's a domestic and foreign policy analyst and scholar of the Middle East and North Africa with 15 years of applied research and work experience for the U.S. government, private sector, and academia. An anthropologist by training, McKinsey is an expert in displaced persons, refugee settlement, and integration in Arab and Muslim communities in the United States and Europe. So we're pleased to welcome him to Radio Islam. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great it, to be on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, first of all, uh, in April, I'm just going to just dive right in. April of 2017, right? We are living in a very, I guess every generation feels that they're living in interesting times. But we can say that since the election and lead, actually leading up to the election of our current president, President uh, Trump, that uh, incidents of hate crime or anti-Muslim or anti-immigrant sentiment uh, have, have seen significant rises. And you have done, uh, in April of 2017, you established the Muslim Diaspora Initiative. Can you tell us a bit about that? What, what was the goal and what was the, uh, the impetus for that um, effort? Sure thing. So I, I've spent uh, the, the best part of the last 20 years working on uh, North Africa and the Middle East. And uh, in 2015, the Brookings Institute uh, invited me to uh, to join their team and, and work on um, two broad topics. Uh, one, the Syrian refugee crisis, and two, uh, Muslim communities in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it was there that I, I spent quite a bit of time going back and forth to Europe, uh, working with the Germans, specifically uh, the Chancellor, to think about how to receive and integrate uh, a million um, refugees and migrants. And I subsequently moved to New America, and for all the reasons that you touched on, um, it was the presidential election cycle that, you know, there was just this toxic environment, and Muslims were a punching bag. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling all over the country um, trying to um, uh, garner interest in a set of studies that would look at and amplify the contributions and impact of American Muslims at the local level, because I was hearing from folks, uh, well, it was just clear to me that, that we know very little about the impact and contributions of Muslims at the local level. And there's all kinds of positives taking place all over the country mm-hmm. um, that folks don't know about, which I, I'll circle back to in a minute. But when I was traveling across the country, one of the things I kept hearing from Muslim community leaders is that they were thrilled to hear about this project looking at local contributions, but they were saying there were lots of bad things happening across the country that were being overlooked um, on a national level. And, and so, you know, I asked them to give me some examples, and they said, well, you know, someone threw a rock through our window with a note tied on it, go home Muslims. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, a woman having her jab ripped off and so on and so forth. And so, you know, the, the researcher in me wanted to, uh, you know, one, see, uh, I didn't question whether these incidents were happening, but I wanted to get a sense of what, how much worse was it um, during that period compared to previous periods. And so I pulled together a team of researchers, and we spent um, about 10 months uh, sifting through um, data to get a sense of, of what what's going on across the country. And um, for those that want to you know, look at this, it's worth just going to New America. And um, you can look at our anti-Muslim activity uh, in the United States project, and, and you see an enormous spike in activities. Mm-hmm. And you've got two things that are going on. You've got, one, the rhetoric by presidential candidates. So you've got Chris Christie saying he wouldn't take in a five-year-old orphan from Syria, suggesting that there's something fundamentally wrong with Muslims. You've got Donald Trump saying all of the things that he said, and so on and so forth. And so you've got um, all of that rhetoric combined with some of the spectacular terrorist attacks in Europe. And the end result is, you know, um, violence and crimes against Muslims here uh, across the country. So right. we've documented this, and we wanted to go back a few election cycles. So we go back to 2012, and what you'll see is that um, there's no question that there is definitely a relationship uh, between uh, not only the terrorist attacks, but also um, the pres- presidential rhetoric. And I, I mentioned the terrorist attacks because um, if you go back and you look at our data set, um, following the Boston Marathon attack and following Charlie Hebdo, there, there wasn't an enormous spike. Mm-hmm. But you see this in 2015 and 16, because you don't just have these attacks, you have people who are running for president of the United States who are saying horrible things about Muslims and ginning up a lot of fear and uh, confusion uh, across the country. You know, there's there's something to we, we hold very dear the idea of, of free speech, you know, being able to uh, to openly dissent. Um, you know, that that is there's nothing probably more American uh, than that. And but when that free speech is coupled with, or it comes attached to uh, people who have uh, influence, then depending on how that speech is used, you know, we could be we could be looking at. Uh, the makings of, um, you know, of a mass movement, kind of a co-signing on creating an other group, a group that, you know, that's outside of the the, the pale of humanity. So uh, saying that, do you think in your research, have you seen that the, um, I guess the sentiments that have been, have been shared by uh, those who are seeking uh, political, um, they were looking, they were uh, looking to be elected, that their words had impact on people who actually had no real firsthand knowledge about the people that they were forming opinions on? There's no question, but, but to just take it a step further, mm-hmm. what we, what one of the categories that we look at um, is entitled anti-Muslim actions and statements by elected and appointed officials. Right. And uh, we, we, we look at, at this category because elected and appointed officials at the state and local level are voices of authority. Um, And just to pull out one example from July 2017 in Kalkuska, Michigan, um, the village president there uh, wrote on Facebook calling for the killing of, and I quote, every last Muslim. 
and he refused to apologize for this. And I, I'm wow. giving you one example, but this is the most senior elected official in that village. And what does that signal to, you know, everybody else there? And all of a sudden we're seeing, a, you know, a normalization of, of, of this hate. Mm-hmm. And so this should really, really concern us. And, and, and we should be concerned if this is happening to any community, frankly. Right. This is not, you know, and one of the things we've learned uh, through our research is, you know, the folks who hate Muslims also hate Jews and hate blacks and hate gays and hate women and Mexicans and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, what what happened in this previous election cycle is that it has energized and mobilized um, a lot of folks across the country um, to take actions against minorities. And, and Muslims have, um, as I said earlier, um, both physically and both um, figuratively and, and, um, and in a very real sense, become a, a punching bag um, at, at, at the local level. Right, right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just say the, 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 the website so folks can, can go there, uh, newamerica.org. Uh, and I've, I've gone, I've looked at, I've looked at some of the, the data, and it is, it, yeah, it's, it's disturbing. Um, it's extremely disturbing. Uh, let, let me ask this. When it comes to elected officials who are making statements, uh, like the one you just mentioned, um, what is the, what's the recourse, especially when you have, uh, when, you have when they take positions where they, they dig their heels in and they're not willing to, they're not, they're not going to give a retraction, an apology, they're not resigning? What, is that, what does that say about where we're at right now? Well, it, it, it should concern us, right? And I can tell you in the case of Kalkaska, Michigan, uh, this gentleman was um, recently voted out of office, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, you know, which is a positive sign. Right. But we're seeing these kinds of negative uh, activities taking place across the country. And, it, it, you know, it's very disheartening. And, you know, what our project doesn't capture is what this means to Muslim communities when, at the local level, someone severs a pig's head off mm-hmm. and throws it through the window of a mosque. And it, beyond just the incident, the crime itself, I mean, this really, really drives fear into people's hearts. And when you've got people throwing bricks through windows that say, go home, and I'm hearing from those same communities, this is where we were born and raised. This is home. We pay our taxes. We're making contributions to our neighbors and neighborhoods and to our education systems. Um, it should concern us. So I will tell you, you know, if, if there's one silver lining in this really toxic period that we're in, mm-hmm. it's that I'm seeing across the country um, Muslims and other minority communities are getting fired up in a positive way, and they are channeling their energy, and they're getting involved. Yes. Um, and, you know, one great example of that is that we've seen over 100 Muslims run for uh, elected office this cycle. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it, it's true with other minority communities as well. So I, I hope that 10, 15, 20 years from now, um, and I expect, frankly, that we're going to see some men and women who, who are going to tell us the reason I'm a congressman now or a congresswoman or a senator or I'm governor is because I was 10 years old and I couldn't believe what I was hearing from the president of the United States. And I said, when I grow up, I was going to go to college and I was going to go run for office and, and so on. I, I think that's coming. And I think that is going to be one of the real uh, silver linings. So while we've got uh, a president 
who seems determined to continue to throw red meat to his base mm-hmm. uh, to get them fired up against minorities. At the same time, we're, we're seeing a lot of different communities come together uh, and get involved in ways that, that I don't think we would under any other set of circumstances. Let, let, let me say this, Bobby. I think that when, to, to go back to the point about elected officials um, being the being the voice of hate, uh, and then that that voice being transmitted uh, and taken up, whatever that whatever that sentiment is, taken up by the uh, by the electorate, they begin to see themselves as acting as de facto um, as agents of the state, you know, in their in their rejection of whichever population has been has been demonized. Um, to, to that point, let me ask, when it comes to Muslims and the research that, that you've done, uh, do you see that there, is a, that there is an assumption that all Muslims look a particular way, that Muslims are going to be visible? Because within these uh, protests, within these uh, uh, incidents of, of violence, they, they seem to be more centered around Arab or um, uh, Indo-Pakistani Sure. Um, you know, uh, uh, phenotypical, you know, uh, sets. There's no question that that race and ethnicity play into this, right? And it's it's fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of the problem, frankly, is that, you know, we know uh, very little about, you know, Muslims at the local level. It's it's why my research focuses on not only the, the, the anti-Muslim activities at the state and local level, and so we're trying to pull apart myths and misinformation, but we also are doing a lot of research around the impact and contributions of Muslims. And the reason for this is so you, you see, uh, you know, some of these local um, elected officials who are saying horrible things, mm-hmm. um, but you also see, uh, you know, frankly, other uh, elected officials who are saying, hold on, no, that's not true, they're, they're just like us. But and while I, I think it's great for them, for people to be standing up and saying this, it's largely just good sentiment. And so what we're trying to do here at New America is use scholarship and data mm-hmm. to shape a discussion, both at the national level, but also at the state and local level, that will inform uh, the media, elected officials, and, and um, uh, you know, uh, a range of actors, so that they will have facts in front of them. So we're not just going to be talking about good sentiment. We're going to be talking about who these folks really are. And, you know, the truth is most Americans don't know that, you know, a thousand Muslims serve in the New York uh, police force. Mm -hmm. They're protecting, you know, all of us, uh, New Yorkers, that is, uh, every day with their lives. You know, most Americans overlook the fact that a disproportion of Muslims, something around uh, the order of 10%, um, are medical doctors in this country, and they're serving us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we need to know more about, you know, what Muslims are doing because I think it's a great way to pull apart the myths and misinformation. Um, so, yeah, that's that. But to your point, there's no question. I guess I, 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 I'm deeply, deeply concerned by the actions and statements of elected and appointed officials at the local level. And, you know, I'm deeply concerned that over 30 you know, governors wanted to suspend refugee resettlement because they were worried about Muslim refugees coming in from the Middle East. Right. But I, you know, I also want to find real solutions to these problems. And in my mind, it's about trying to better understand uh, 
what Muslim communities look like at the local level. And I think doing that will really dispel a lot of these myths. I mean, you know, one of the biggest myths out there is, you know, creeping Sharia. You know, there's so many Americans that are worried about Muslims trying to, you know, push Sharia on the U.S. And, and the truth of the matter is most of these Americans can't even tell you what Sharia is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and let's forget the fact that I don't think there's a place in the country that I know of, maybe I'm wrong, where Muslim communities are actually advocating for Sharia law to be implemented. Right. And so, you know, there's just so much misinformation, and I want to try and do my small part in this, but the truth of the matter is, you know, uh, you know, over 100 Muslims ran for office. They did an enormous uh, yeah. amount of work just by putting themselves out there and explaining themselves and the candidacy. So, I, like I said, I, I think there are a lot of negatives, but I also think that these negatives are leading to a lot of positives that are going to have long-term uh, and enormously positive impacts. You know, and speak, and I think that's, that's uh, ex- extremely important to be able to see that, that silver lining or see the seeds of a positive change that, are going to, that we expect to see uh, coming. And as you mentioned about, you know, maybe... 15 years from now or 20 years, whatever, uh, where we'll have Muslim uh, congressmen or, you know, or, or more, I should say. Um, sure. and, 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 and they look back and they trace their, uh, you know, that, that moment that they got energized to some of the, the negative and hateful rhetoric uh, that's being, you know, uh, uh, spewing out there. Um, but there's also the other side of that. Could this also be where, People who did not know, and this is where that that data comes into play, because people assume, uh, and I think all of us, we assume that if we're not the actual source of the the hate, we're not the source of, uh, you know, the the vitriol, then then we're okay. But not realizing that maybe our neighbor or the the, the somebody the, on the house, you know, uh, the neighbor of the house uh, over from us, that they're actually a part of that. And that data, it shows, I think you had on there, um, it, was, it was about uh, the most uh, anti-Muslim, uh, either, I think it was hate crimes that took place was in California, but then it was per capita was like Maine. That's um, right. And just this idea of people in those places maybe saying, wow, I don't see myself that way, and I'm not that way, but obviously there are people around me who are. So that could be kind of the, the impetus for their own engagement that's uh, that's right i mean i i you know california texas new york um florida michigan are the worst states in terms of the you know the greatest number of incidents uh in terms of per capita maine is is the worst state um but you know in california texas and new york and in new york you know interestingly enough um new york is a particularly bad place Mm. Uh, i mean there's a lot of of anti-muslim activities taking place there um, but you know the, the you know these incidents are jarring and, and um, I, I just think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about Muslims. This is my you know I, I, my perception uh, as a researcher, but just uh, as an American. And I, I was talking to um, a Muslim family up in Michigan, mm-hmm. and I, I was having dinner at, at their home, and, and the wife, who's not bailed, was telling me that she she's a, she's a cardiologist. She was telling me that some of her colleagues, she overheard them talking about Muslims being this way and that way. And she said to them, you know, I'm Muslim. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the colleague, one of her colleagues responded, oh, I didn't realize that, and then followed up with, but you're not like them. Right, right. And I thought, wow, you know, hearing this. And I, the problem is that, that, you know, 
folks just don't know, uh, you know, much about Muslim communities. And this leads to um, a lot of problems. And, of course, all of this is on the back of enormous muscle memory from 9-11, right. where, you know, your average American, they're, you know, they, they've got uh, deep fear um, from 9-11. And, of course, you know, since then we've had, a, you know, a number of spectacular attacks that get played over and over again you know, on CNN and Fox, on every outlet, right? And so yeah. this is what people see. And people don't know that, you know, uh, that Muslims are involved in all kinds of important contributions. And, and this is the part that needs to be remedied. Right. And it's, it, it, it's not easy when you've got folks at the highest level who hold elected office mm-hmm. or running for elected office who are saying, keep them out. Well, when it comes to uh, dispelling myths, is the is is there a greater difficulty in presenting information to people that you don't necessarily know? I, I'm I'm sort of assuming that just in just in having relationships with folks, people are more likely to take the word of somebody that they know as opposed to uh, the stranger, right? Um, is 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 this idea of dispelling myths around the Muslim community? Is it more difficult with some than others? Well, it's a it's a it's a great question, and you know the the work that I'm doing is is not advocacy, it's not activism, mm-hmm. um, it's scholarship, yeah. and I'm I'm trying to to reach really three groups of people who have, in my mind, the greatest reach, and and trying to inform. Uh, the public, mm-hmm. in no order. Journalists, policymakers, and elected officials. And, you know, we're using the scholarship and data that we have to do everything we can to, you know, circulate it among journalists, policymakers, and elected officials, because if they're informed, um, they are best positioned to reach a really wide and diverse uh, set of audiences. And so that's what we're doing. But I, I don't, you know, to your excellent point, you know, there's going to be folks out there who are uh, have cold, extreme views about Muslims and other minorities, and I, I frankly I don't know how to engage them. Nor is it my job to like try and figure out how to engage them. But I, I do know how to engage journalists, policymakers, and elected officials. Right. And my impression is when I talk to um, elected officials and policymakers, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, mm-hmm. when they start to hear about these incidents, they get really troubled by it. And this is the case in, in even the states that are, that are, you know, quite Republican. And, you know, people, I think, also I, on, on the left have this perception that, you know, all Republicans engage in this. And I, I don't find that to be the case. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I've talked to some pretty uh, senior officials in Texas. And when I put this data in front of them and I say, look, you've got a mosque that was burnt down. You've got someone who was shot, someone who was stabbed, Muslims, I mean, who were shot or stabbed there, a woman who was punched in the face because she's wearing a veil. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not American. That's not our values and principles. And, and I think when folks start to see this, um, it's jarring and it makes them realize that, that we can and should be doing better. Hmm. I would compare your work on the, 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 the scope and importance of it um, very much uh, very much in the same vein as that of uh, Ida B. Wells and her documentation of lynchings of African Americans um, and those numbers and those situations that had to be 
uh, that had to be put on paper for people to see to realize that this was not an isolated incident, but a a, a full blown um, just a just a storm. Um, so you've you've been you've been recording uh, incidents that are uh, available um, uh, as far as the within the, the public information uh, sphere. How far back do you go? We go back to 2012, and the reason for this is that I, I you know, I, I really do want to look at this, you know, with with cold eyes, nonpartisan eyes, yeah. and a lot of the work that looks at hate incidents mm-hmm. focuses only on, you know, the election cycle or since then, and it becomes very partisan. So we wanted to go back to the 2012 election cycle, which gives us, you know, two presidential cycles, but it also gives us... Um, a couple of midterms. Mm-hmm. And with this, we get a sense of, of what's going on. And, and there's no question, if you look at, if you look at our, our, our project online, that, you know, the spectacular terrorist attacks in Europe, you know, you had the Paris attacks, um, Brussels, but you also have San Bernardino, you've got Orlando here, you've got East France, and, uh, Manchester, and then uh, more recently, the, the New York City truck attack. These attacks, um, you know, had a, had a real impact, but the attacks alone didn't, because if they did, as you, if you look at our project, we would have seen the same result from the Boston Marathon attack and the Charlie Hebdo attack. And the difference is, the, the, during the Boston Marathon attack, during that period, and the, we didn't have anybody running for, for office who, with a megaphone, was talking about how dangerous Muslims are. Mm. And it, it's that rhetoric combined with the nonstop media cycle of, uh, you know, covering these attacks, that really does have an impact. Mm. Hence why it's so critical um, that journalists are part of the, the those that you are looking to influence or to be to be made aware uh, of the, the data that you have. So. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, we, we launched this, uh, I guess, this project four or five months ago, we've been working on it, as I said, for around 10 months, mm-hmm. collecting the data. And, and um, I think we've had something like 30,000 people who have, who have, you know, been on our site looking at it. It's been covered by, I think, around uh, uh, 12 to 15 different media outlets. So it's gotten, you know, good coverage. Uh, you know, the, the problem is that, you know, these, uh, you know, this kind of data um, usually only gets covered or becomes interesting when, you um, you know, when bad things happen. But, uh, right. you know, it is a resource hub. It's something that is it's good for a whole, uh, you know, a whole range of uh, stakeholders. And I certainly hope that, you know, Muslim communities across the country use this to yes. engage their, their own elected officials to say, hey, look, here's what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I should add one more point here about our data set, that we were very conservative in what we included. So we... Uh, our criteria, which we explain in the FAQ section, uh, is, is um, clear, but, but we don't include incidents unless there's clear anti-Muslim bias. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that there's not a police report or a court report or some report um, that suggests there's anti-Muslim bias. We don't include it. Uh, doesn't mean that, that it, 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 you know, it wasn't you know, uh, an anti-Muslim incident. It just means that we don't have evidence of that. And so, um, you know, there was a horrible incident in Northern Virginia where a young woman was, was killed during Ramadan. Uh, she was abducted and murdered, and, and um, you know, it wasn't recorded. There's no re- reporting of it being a hate crime. 
so we don't include it. And so there's all kinds of horrible incidents out there that aren't included in this. And, and my point is that I think things are much worse than than the than our project actually shows. And, mm. You know, one final point on this: I I was in Houston back in January um, conducting a focus group, and I asked uh, some youth, uh, some male youth. I said, um, "How how bad would you you know describe?" Uh, anti-Muslim activities here, and uh, one young man said, "Well, not so bad." Another young man said, "Yeah, I agree. It's I, I don't I don't think it's a problem." And uh, someone else in the room said, "Well, on a scale of of you know one to ten, with ten being you don't want to leave your house, how bad is it?" And the the one young man said, "Oh, it's probably a six. And the other kid said six and a half. And I said, "Can you give me some examples?" He said, "Oh, yeah. Someone threw a, a, a full can of Coca-Cola through." my mom's window when we were driving. Another kid talked about his sister having her veil ripped off. Mm. And I mention this because those are crimes that I just, that, that, they, that they listed. But if they didn't report them, and they didn't report them, uh, we don't know about it. And worse yet, if they're not reporting it, why? You know, is it because these incidents are becoming normalized? And, and I think there's, there's a real possibility that that's the case, and so I, I think things are worse than what our uh, project actually uh, um, shows. So very conservative numbers. And for those um, who are listening, and um, once again, would you give the areas that you cover? There, there are five areas, right? Yes, yeah, so we look at five areas. We look at anti-Sharia legislation, mm -hmm. um, largely because this is about trying to um, gin up fear among uh, certain um, communities. Opposition to refugee resettlement, and we include this because this was a huge issue in 2015 and 16 as a result of uh, the Syrian refugee crisis. Um, the third category is opposition to mosques, Muslim cemeteries, and schools. And this category is largely about zoning and other creative legal means to try and obstruct the building of mosques, Muslim cemeteries, and schools. Uh, the next category is anti-Muslim actions and statements by uh, elected and appointed officials at the state and local level. And then the final category looks at anti-Muslim violence and crimes. Um, so those are the five categories that we look at. And, um, you know, collectively, uh, it, it certainly demonstrates that um, there's been a huge increase in activities. Um, that um, are in relation to the last election cycle. Mm. Well, this is great, and I know you said that um, uh, that this is not activism. Uh, there are a lot of folks, myself included, who would beg to differ. Uh, this is uh, <laughs> extremely, extremely important, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about it. Uh, we are definitely going to uh, post this on our site, uh, the link. Uh, this is yeah, I mean, like I said, it's all about the silver lining. I think that's that's the best thing to, to try to take from this. But we really thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us, Bobby. It was great to be on the show. And uh, I hope to come on again. I, I should just end by saying that, uh, you know, the next project that I'm launching, we're doing two things, if, if you can just please, uh, please, please. me for a minute. Uh, one is going to look at... Uh, um, Hate, hateful content on Twitter targeting Muslims and other minority communities, and that will launch that in, in uh, September. And then in, uh, in the lead-up to the, to the election, the midterm elections in November, 
um, we're going to be doing a, a national um, uh, survey that looks at, uh, you know, deep dive uh, look at um, Americans' views of Muslims. So we've got those two projects that are uh, in the immediate future. So if folks want to look at those, um, please come to uh, New America's website. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you once again. I really hope that that, uh, that we can uh, have you back on to talk about that. Thanks for having me. So, it's been a great pleasure. All right. All right, folks. That was Bobby McKenzie. Uh, he is the He's a senior fellow at New America and director of its Muslim Diaspora Initiative. You can get more information about the work, uh, the research, at newamerica.org. Thanks for tuning in. Thank our engineers over at WCEV. We thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, producer Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host, Tariq Alami. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and are to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. That said, folks, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.